Welcome to the latest Experts in the Field podcast from Foot Anstead's Farms, Estates and Rural Land Team. With guest speakers and in-house experts, we'll provide insights into rural developments and current affairs. I'm Edward Venmore. In this episode, we'll be considering landlord and tenant matters, in particular how to maintain a good relationship, what the common pitfalls are and what causes in tenancy negotiations can cause the most problems. This week, I'm joined by our guest expert speaker, Matt Brown from Savills, and my colleague, Daniel Spaulding. Matt is a director at Savills in their rural professional team. He's a chartered uh, surveyor and RICS registered valuer. He specialises in rural and residential property. Matt's expertise includes valuation, landlord and tenant matters, infrastructure and utility projects, and property management. Daniel is a member of my team and, like me, works on rural businesses and agricultural disputes such as partnership disputes, landlord and tenant claims, and issues relating to restrictive covenants and proprietary estoppel claims. Welcome both. Thanks for joining us. Hi, thanks. Thanks, Ed. Matt, perhaps first of all, to kick things off with you, and very generically, really, but an important overarching question, what makes a good landlord and tenant relationship? and Why, obviously, is that so important? Yeah, I think key is communication and that's so important in the relationship because you've got two parties with an interest in the same land talking about agricultural property and they've got a benefit to provide to each other one to let and one to occupy so they both need each other but if they start pulling in different directions potentially through lack of communication that relationship can become fractured and ultimately it will cost them more to go about their day-to-day business and overall could be unsatisfactory a good relationship um I think that could be classed as one with open, honest communication, hopefully some prior planning, early engagement on things and not being afraid to have those difficult conversations and consider change. Mm. I was going to say as well, the kind of communication point is pretty essential and that's one of the key things that we would say in terms of like open, early discussions. But I think from a lawyer's perspective as well, what we'd probably say is starting off on a good foot with some proper documentation so basically then both party is aware of their obligations there can't be any confusion over that and it just makes things a bit easier in terms of getting that relationship off to the right start because a tenant feels like they've got a bit of security they know what their obligations are they know how long they're getting the land for they can do some proper business planning and a landlord effectively knows what the tenant's doing, they've planned for what's happening to the land. So I think that kind of documentation point is a really key one for a good relationship from our perspective. Yeah, I'd I'd agree. It gives certainty, doesn't it? And when Mm. you've got an agricultural industry that's common, whether (laughs) input prices, produce prices, having that and trying to keep that uncomplicated, it's got to be the way to go. Yeah, and I think, think, um, sorry, Edward. I was just going to say, the the other thing I would add to the mix as being important is perhaps going to be very topical over the next few years and we'll turn to this probably later on in this discussion but it's making sure that from both sides of the fence it's commercially viable and works because there's yeah. no point having a tenant who's not making enough money because of rent levels and other all the other costs and all of us are very aware of the inflationary pressures at the moment for example but if it doesn't work financially on both sides um that will itself will lead to problems so understanding where both sides are coming from in terms of making it work financially is important and will lead to a better longer-term relationship. Yeah. Matt, perhaps I can ask you, what do you see as being common things that go wrong, common pitfalls in a landlord-tenant relationship? We've already touched about communication, etc. but what else? There are. It depends on the parties and the farm cough. And I could give some examples without being too specific, but um, 
one I can think of was in relation to the actual residential element at the property and as this is may or may not know that carries a significant weight to to repair uh, and upkeep repair on those properties but in this particular case it had been damaged quite significantly and there were other sort of breaches in the tenancy which ultimately ended up seeing risk for both the landlord and the tenant and, and you can imagine it didn't, didn't foster a good relationship and mm-hmm. actually went on to then mean that negotiations regarding ending that tenancy were starting off in a lot more difficult position than they could have been yeah a common pitfall would be sort of uh, people getting s- surprises that, that they're not that they're not expecting. I think that comes back to the point we just said about communication and early engagement, open honest discussion, that sort of thing. Basically, d- doing the opposite of that would be a common pitfall that I see as having an impact on relationships. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. Danielle, have you got anything you want to add to that? Yeah, I think, I suppose, we see, we obviously deal with disputes and quite a lot of the disputes we see, they're either over written clauses in tenancy agreement that have either not been drafted so brilliantly or a scenario whereby there's no tenancy agreement at all so there's a bit of uncertainty in terms of who's responsible for what and who should be doing what so I think we see quite a lot of that and also in relation to repair like you said and end of tenancy matters so dilapidations and things is a bit of a common theme I think those are the key ones that we come across and I don't want to sound like a broken record in relation to documentation but it basically comes down to documentation and examples of you know do you need to ask for consent to do something does the tenant need to engage with the landlord and say that can I do this those types of things which basically goes full circle and comes back to the communication point I think I think the one thing I'd add there as well, Daniel, is you know, inevitably, particularly if you've got a very long-term tenancy, that mm-hmm. you know, something which was agreed or drafted, maybe not as clear as it could be many years ago, inevitably queries about that can come up and the course of regulations in which we're all operating under can change over a period of time. And so when those queries arise or there's uncertainty, again, rather than just not having the conversation with a landlord or agent, I think it's very important. Uh, often sensible for the tenant to have that open conversation with the landlord because developing that good relationship again is so important to make it work on for both the landlord and tenant in the longer term yeah i think that that, any sort of ambiguities you say can it leaves room for there to be a dispute and obviously there weren't photographic record of conditions when a lot of the agricultural holdings act tenancies that are in place were put in place and thinking about how they were drafted and the way agriculture's changed as well and it's another thing that can be a theme a theme of dispute can arise from the way the landlord may want that land to be managed now Mm. and the way the tenant might want to do it driven to a certain extent by economics and then we've got the factors of, of subsidy and climate change as well you could have intensive farming on a land you know continuous maize cropping for example which may have been done for quite a lo- quite a long time but aren't necessarily where one party might want to continue going forward just again making sure that the parties are aware of what plans are trying as far as possible within the constraints of the tenancy to um to uh, to keep each other appraised and keep it practical but also not being afraid to look at going outside of that and perhaps having an agreement recording it in a memorandum to again to try and reduce any surprises or 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 areas of possible dispute as things change yeah absolutely matt what clauses do you come across as being really the most intense areas of of negotiation apart from obviously rent which i'm sure is a topic (laughs) of negotiation but what, what other clauses come up as real points of debate yeah, in, in new agreements, the 
responsibility f- to to repair for, for whatever that might be and linked to that um we're now in, in the last couple of years there would be a lot more detail focused on on the soil and the soil condition and what the parties are responsible for uh, and again a bit like the records of condition that we'd that we traditionally think of getting that soil analysis and documenting it as, as part of a baseline for the tenancy is important so it's something that's being focused on quite a lot more recently i would say in, in new agreements if you're looking at older agreements uh, moving from farm business tenancies to, to agricultural holdings act tenancies then often the common one is is clauses around taking the land back in hand for development notices mm-hmm. to quit class b because they can have the potential to be have a big impact on the tenant there can be a lot at stake for both sides financially so that there's a lot to negotiate over in terms of negotiating new tenancy agreement what would be your kind of advice and to a landlord or a tenant really on how to best approach those negotiations on a new agreement yeah, I'm conscious I'm saying a few of the same things here, but if you're if you're having a good, open, and honest di- discussion about it and being very clear, that start of that discussion or negotiation might start from walking the farm together or with the agent or on an open day. Probably then moving to a draft agreement and making sure that both parties are working through that together. It would be rare to find a holding that fits just a standard model of of, of agreement. So I think. Working through that together, some hopefully quite a lot of the items in there would be would be straightforward and agreed. But getting into the detail at the start and picking out the salient points so they don't become problems later on, I would say is mm-hmm. one of the one of the best ways. And if it's done in a sort of structured way, it should flow fairly naturally from there. Yeah, we were thinking from our perspective where we see the best negotiations take place, and they're quite often where there's a bit of flexibility and both parties are fairly open-minded on the approach and are thinking not only practically but also commercially about what do these various clauses mean to them and their business and how important are they so I think yeah it's just about an element of flexibility as well yeah yeah agree you know that's a, such a good thing about farm business tenancies the flexibility you've got in the rents are rent's a key one I know sort of you said we probably wouldn't get into that but you've got a lot more flexibility there to agree the basis of how that rent might be reviewed and when which is which again goes with that theme of being flexible. Yeah, I totally agree on that. We touched upon it too on this conversation and we touched upon it in many of our other episodes in these podcasts. Obviously with the changing rules around subsidies, et cetera, and the environmental focus, et cetera, the landlord-tenant relationship is going to be, well, potentially look quite different in many ways over the next next few years. And I'd be interested to get your take. I appreciate it's a fast-moving area and there's an awful lot more to come from government, but I'm interested to get your take on what you're seeing as being topics and issues coming up between landlords and tenants when particularly looking at new agreements for the moment there's so much uncertainty it's quite hard i would have thought both landlords and tenants to do a deal and embark on a new relationship when there's so many question marks as to the finances frankly yeah there, there can be in terms of a new agreement we've got legal review and our tenancy agreements or templates are quite specific to the type of farm and the term and they're always under review constantly under review with this changing landscape of subsidy it's one of those things where the parties need to again go through and discuss it you can only do your best with the information you've got at the time and if something's going to change in future and you don't know what it is you can prepare for that so having good baselines in record of condition and soil and addressing in as much detail as you can the position as is known around who is allowed to claim for what with whose permission who has control who can bring things to an end who can make changes and trying as far as you can to document the financials of that so it is a fast it is quite 
fast moving the answer is in a nutshell to to make sure you are looking at all the detail you've got available at the time because then it's it, it's much easier for, for someone to pick that up in future when things have changed in say five years time and see the intention whereas, whereas if the detail was sparse and thought we'll wait and see what happens here then the intention may be lost over time and then at least if you've got that it will help direct the parties when that matter does become pertinent in the future and there's more clarity. Are you talking to many farmers and landowners about how they're planning for the future what's their kind of attitude and thoughts on the changes obviously we've seen from the NFU recently that they've asked for an urgent review and they've asked for a postponement of the reduction of the BPS payments over the next couple of years so there seems to be a lot of anxiety about what's going to happen have have you got a kind of view on on how landowners and, and tenants are feeling at the moment about things it's very varied because of the range of landlords and tenants with their with different aims and farm types here in the southwest we, we've got from moorland dairy livestock grade one arable and then the uh, types of landlord as well they could yeah. be landlord of a single farming unit farm holding they could be an estate with multiple tenants and tenancies and a lot of those tenants having different tenancies themselves they could be a corporate a corporate landlord landlord that holds land to support perhaps another part of their business each of them would have a a potentially different driver regards subsidy and it's linked to linked to the climate change as well broadly speaking i'd say that we're seeing where there's a perhaps an estate scenario a want and a desire from most most and from most landlord and tenant side to want to have engagement as a group because there's a recognition that a lot of these benefits can be brought about better over a wider area in a group again early engagement is great when you get into the detail and individual farms then it becomes a bit more fragmented because there's economic drivers behind all this as you mentioned with the the basic payment scheme Mm -hmm. coming down and uncertainty over over how people might make up that level and within that you've got farmers who are the basic payment scheme is great but it's in addition and they don't need it whereas others are very reliant on it and much like any other business farming businesses you've got ones that are run highly efficiently and ones that perhaps aren't run so well it's hard to generalize completely other than to say that those we think that are making most progress are looking over the biggest geographical area and that they can at the moment and, and trying to plan ahead because these schemes as well take a while to go into if you do your background and your application six eight months before they might start at least yeah do you think at the moment for from the land looking at landowners do you think it's discouraging them going into new tenancy agreements of a longer term five ten fifteen years do you think it's discouraging them from doing that at the moment because it is so uncertain i wouldn't say that the uh, the subsidy regimes necessarily putting them off there's probably a bigger driver of the term is the relationship with the tenant if if it in the context of a new relationship to some degree potentially get around that there's the option of break clauses in a longer termed tenancy and it's something that the tenant farms association are pushing for a minimum term and longer tenancies overall but more common seeing sort of three to five year initial terms rather than 10 to 15 year initial terms but i would say it's an influencing factor but outweighed i would say by in a new relationship caution between the two parties and to an extent some precaution against statutory change in what people might do and then you get it you can get into minutiae of where that land is and other yeah. opportunities for it in the future that can be covered off from a landowner's perspective particularly when you touched upon some of the uh, some of the different types of landowners but obviously at the moment you start to see a, a wave of new entrants to the market in terms of those businesses 
looking at their carbon offsetting plans, et cetera, and things like that. So there's some new entrants. And of course, any landowner now needs to think very carefully about these environmental schemes and the and the opportunities that are coming up and will be coming up in the longer term. And if you're going into a tenancy arrangement, is that going to be the right thing to do for you as a, a landowner in 10, 15 years' time, et cetera? Yeah, on the sort of the other end of the scale from having a new agreement where there's existing agreements that are perhaps now holding over and rolling on a periodic basis, we are seeing more of landowners taking them back, either taking them back completely in hand because of driving factors to want to have control and benefits they see through subsidy schemes or ending an existing agreement to to then renegotiate to a certain extent but it's more about making sure the agreement is fit for purpose again mm-hmm. so everyone can be clear going forward t- to maintain an existing relationship even though the tenancy technically th- there's a new one so we are seeing an increase in that where there's existing relationships and tenancies yeah that was something that we thought <clears throat> might bring about a bit of friction where you've got a tenant that's effectively doing the work for the environmental benefits under the scheme but perhaps the landlord gets the financial benefit of that and we were just wondering whether you've been experiencing that in negotiations or whether it's actually a bit too early for you to have had those discussions. We have and we've dealt with them by trying to set out as clearly as possible what who would be responsible for what and who gets paid what yeah. under xyz scenario because a lot of times going into these agreements in even if they're say five years as opposed to to 10 or 15 a lot of the schemes that you're going into are a five or maximum 10 but if the parties are genuinely looking beyond that to have their landlord tenant relationship there's a huge amount in there that's unknown so and it also gets factored in to to the negotiation at the start there's an advantage if you're coming into a a new agreement knowing that we're going to have change because the parties can factor that in to their rent review calculation methodology as well uh, and also have some clauses in there that might be quite clear on if a lump sum exit scheme was taken the implications of that if a new scheme comes in the parties will discuss or or one party will have permission from the other etc so it, it does come up under discussion quite a lot lately and it's about ensuring that both sides feel the agreement gives them certainty and gives them ability to adapt as things might change going forward i would say Matt, perhaps uh, drawing some of this discussion to a, a conclusion, what would be your top three tips for a good landlord-tenant relationship? Yeah, uh, communication is the top one. Surprises aren't often welcomed. And the more time someone has in agriculture, the better, especially when the tenant will be operating on a yearly cycle, cropping and livestock, and often the statutory position as well. And So forewarned is forearmed on that. Number two, I would say, Danielle said it earlier on, but making sure your agreement's fit for purpose, whether it's a brand new one you're entering into or a tenancy agreement that was created 40 years ago, that may well be fixed, yes, but you can add to it and you can amend it and you can have agreement and a memorandum to, without giving away the advantages of what's there to either side, but hopefully picking up the benefits that, that either side could gain from some amendment. And number three would be to take advice. Again, you might say, well, we'd say that, but it, we, I think the points we've talked through here, there's a lot going on and a lot of... Um, pitfalls and things that if people aren't dealing with it today day to day it's a clear advantage to take advice and also from a from an agent's point of view and going back to that relationship point it it is a good buffer parties may not necessarily want to have the not the dispute type conversation but but a fairly upfront open conversation and we're quite used to to doing that 
and it helps them preserve the landlord-tenant relationship when the agreement is done and we hand, hand it over. Yeah, that's a really good point, Matt. Yeah, absolutely. I think even more so at the moment with, the, with that changing regime that we've talked about, I think uh, the need for size landlords and tenants to take advice from quite a few people to really get an understanding of the market and the issues that they need to consider is, uh, is really important. Matt, thank you really very much for your, uh, your time today. It's been really useful. And I hope everyone listening found it uh, so as well. Uh, lots of interesting points come out of this discussion. And I hope some helpful advice. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss the next Foot Anstey Experts in the Field podcast. Join us next time for more insights on important rural and agricultural issues. Find out more about our podcast series at footanstey.com.